there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because He is worthy of all of our devotion. Myself, Vinny, Pastor Vinny, and Jonathan, Jonathan Martin, my co-host, have this season been looking at the historical Jesus. And we're going to have a really special three-part episode coming up starting today on John's favorite region. But before we get into that, I just want to encourage you to go to iTunes and give us a, a star rating there, hopefully a positive one, please. Um, no, be honest with it or subscribe on your favorite podcast listening platform so that you get the notifications of when new podcast episodes come out. One of the things I've been noticing is that some episodes get like piles of downloads and listens and some episodes don't, but the ones that don't eventually do, it's like, People don't know they're coming out. They've not figured out the rhythm that it's every other Wednesday at 10 o'clock. And so they eventually people get caught up. But it's wanting to help people stay in sync with the podcast. And with all that said, asking you to rate us on your favorite platform and subscribe on your favorite platform and to tell a friend about us. Now I want to say... Let's get into this week's episode. In this episode, looking at the historical Jesus to John's favorite region of Israel and Jesus' historical ministry in John's favorite region of Israel. What is your favorite region of Israel where Jesus did ministry? Yeah, Vinny, my favorite place is Galilee. If you guys remember back to our episode when we talked about the geography of the land, uh, Galilee is in the northern part of Israel, and uh, most of the cities and towns in that area surround the Sea of Galilee. And I remember when I went to Israel, and the first time that we got to Galilee and we got to the Sea of Galilee, I remember stepping on the shore there looking out onto the water and thinking to myself, this is where so much of Jesus's ministry took place. You know, you can, you can look out on the water and be like, Jesus walked on this water. Yes. You can look out across and see the Mount of Beatitudes and say, Jesus preached yes. over there on the other side of the lake and you can look over to the opposite side of the lake and be like jesus cast some demons out over in that area yes right over there like so much took place in the region of galilee and so Mm -hmm. many of my favorite stories Mm -hmm. about jesus took place in the region of galilee that i don't know it just has a special place in my heart 
I 100% agree. Just going through Galilee, going around the Sea of Galilee, going to places like Magdala, going to places like Nazareth, going to places like Capernaum, going, going to these places, it's like these stories just pop in your head walking down the the um the mount of of uh the beatitudes towards the sea of galilee and there's like this cave at the bottom of the mountain where the locals say that jesus used to teach his disciples it's just like that like goosebumpy thing you get knowing like you're like standing where jesus stood and taught something you know like yeah. or, or you're in the ruins of a synagogue and and jesus would have stood right there and spoke you know like yeah. it's just like mind-blowing right it, it really is and then and then if you're a real big jesus nerd you're just like man could it be that i'm stepping right in the very spot that jesus stepped right and so like uh, i remember when we visited the ruins of the ancient town of of bethsaida mm-hmm. and uh there's every city has walls Mm-hmm. And to get into the city, you have to go through the gate. Mm-hmm. And that's probably the closest I ever got to stepping on the same ground that Jesus stepped on. Because I'm like, well, I know Jesus came to Bethsaida. So this is as close as I'm going to be from standing on the ground that Jesus walked. For, for, for me in Galilee, being at the traditional site where Jesus restored Peter on the shore of Galilee, mm. you know, in in looking at that place where, you know, we know that Jesus went and had that fish fry breakfast with Peter and um, talked to Peter and Peter like is dealing with his rejection of Jesus. And just to be on that shore, just to, you know, it, it it's a small place. It's someplace right there. Like yeah. which spot? I don't know. The whole place is beautiful, but just the thing that Peter was in that part of the lake fishing and he, you know, he jumped out of the boat yes. and swam to Jesus. And, you know, they have like a path of rocks shaped in the shape of hearts going down there mm-hmm. because Jesus kept asking Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Right. So it's like the love spot of Jesus and Peter and his restoration. Like there's just so many spots like that in the region of Galilee, because most of Jesus ministry didn't happen in Jerusalem, didn't happen in Judah. Some of it did, but most of it, more than half of it, more than 60% of it. Maybe, you know, I haven't calculated it in years or weeks, but I would guess probably about 70% of it or more literally takes place in Galilee. And so, so many stories, just every place you turn, there's a Jesus story around the corner. Yep, it's so true. And, uh, you know, again, you're mentioning that shore where, where Peter ran out to Jesus after Jesus was crucified and he resurrected and yes there's that wonderful story where jesus restores peter but i don't know there's a special place in my heart for food and that's also the story where we're told that jesus made breakfast for the disciples (laughs) as well and so i'm like move over gordon ramsey (laughs) here we have jesus making his signature (laughs) dish of grilled fish for breakfast 
You want to see how Jesus cooks. You want to you, you want to taste divinely prepared food. Yes, exactly. <laughs> no, I, I just I just love the region uh, of Galilee. And if I ever go back to Israel again, I don't know. I, I probably want to spend a little bit more time there, um, just kind of exploring the places and and I don't know, spending time there, just meditating on the different stories and, and the locations that they took place in. Agreed. Agreed. Now, one of those places, of course, is a little town, a poor town, and, and even still, it's a poor city. In fact, Bible scholars for a long time had a hard time finding reference to it in antiquity. Hmm. Um, and then when they did find reference in the history of antiquity, it was seen as a pretty insignificant place. Yeah. Um, and this place would be where Jesus grew up, Nazareth. That's right. Uh, and, and probably the reason why it was kind of, um, you know, kind of a second thought in the minds of a lot of people is, number one, it wasn't that close to water. It was kind of like in the middle between the Mediterranean Sea and the Sea of Galilee. So because it's not close to water, it's not close to any major roads. And because it's not close to major roads, in order to get to Nazareth, you got to go off the major roads to get to Nazareth. And so a lot of people just didn't go there. And if I'm remembering what I've read correctly, the town of Nazareth was probably about 400 people. Like, that's how big the city was. I mean... Yeah, it's small, <laughs> tiny. Yeah, it, it, it's... I mean, there's more people that go to the school that I teach at than lived in the whole town of Nazareth. Right. So the historian Josephus, you know, he, he began his military career in that region and never mentions Nazareth. Right. <laughs> yeah, that's how insignificant it was, right? right. Why, would you, why would you mention a city that only had 400 people? And right. especially in a town where, you know, the numbers included, you know, just men, right? you know, it's like... Was that 400 people, including men, women, and children? If that's the case, right, then it's even more insignificant than, than, than that. So Jesus grew up in a town that was completely insignificant, even for his time and place in history. Right. Exactly. Which is why, you know, uh, we have Nathaniel saying, can anything good come from Nazareth? Exactly. Because, because what good could possibly come from such an insignificant town? Like right. if God's going to do something, it wouldn't be in Nazareth. And yet God did do something in Nazareth. Now we, we know that there was a synagogue in Nazareth. Yes. So, so the, so even though it was a very small town, or I don't even know what you call it a town, maybe even village, it was at least, significant enough to have a synagogue. Yes. What what would have a typical Sabbath been like for Jesus at the synagogue there in Nazareth? What in a small synagogue, Jesus in his home church synagogue, what what would that experience have been like? Yeah, so a Sabbath service was actually very simple. Again, compared to our modern church services, um, you know, they were they were fairly simple uh service so like right off the bat 
you know, everybody's there, they're sitting, they're waiting for things to start. And the first thing that they would do is they would recite what is called the Shema. It's this famous uh, part of the Bible. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter six, and it begins, Hero Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Any devout Jew would recite this on a daily basis. So there's right. no way that they would begin their synagogue service right. without reciting. Right, Shema. right. And we we have an upcoming episode where we're going to talk about the spirituality of Jesus. And we will talk about Shema, Shabbat, and, and other customs that would have been a part of Jesus' regular routine. Right. And definitely, you would if you, when you wake up, you do Shema. When you come to synagogue, you do Shema. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's it's kind of like you know, it's like reciting what is the most important thing as far as the Jewish religion is concerned, because it sums up their belief uh, very succinctly. And right. it's just, uh, but we'll we'll get into that in in our future in our future episode. We'll go more. We'll go deeper. Yeah, for sure. So that was the first thing that they would do, right? They would they would recite the Shema. And then uh, after reciting the Shema, uh, there was a person who was called the Hazan. Uh, Hazan is translated best as caretaker, but most of the gospels um, translated as ruler. So ruler of the synagogue. But that kind of makes it seem as though like they're he's not, a, he's not a priest or a pastor. No, no. He was the caretaker. His servant. job was like yes, a servant. His job was to make sure that the synagogue was taken care of. He may even teach um, a little bit of, of the Beit Torah to the young children. Right. Um, he, uh, he was also responsible for scheduling the readers from Sabbath to Sabbath and those that would do the sermons from Sabbath to Sabbath. So, you know, this idea of ruler, you know, it doesn't really have a whole lot of power. Um, but so caretaker is, is the better word for it. Anyways, so the Hazan, the caretaker, would bring out the Torah and uh, the selected reader would read a section from the Torah. Now, the Torah, if you remember from previous episodes, is the first, first five, five books, books of the Bible. <laughs> the Bible, right? Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So every week, there would be a reading from those, one of those five books. Um, again, because the Torah is so foundational to the rest of the Bible, right? It has its own dedicated time in their worship service, in their synagogue service. So they would read a section from the Torah. And then uh, after reading a section from the Torah, another reader or even the same reader would read a section from the prophets. And so that's the rest of the Old Testament. So you basically have two readings, one reading from the Torah and one reading from the Old Testament. And after reading, uh, from the prophets, then there would be a short sermon that was offered. And that sermon was usually offered by one of the readers. So, uh, by the way, there's a fun fact here. Uh, any adult member of the community was eligible to give the sermon. Anyone? Like, I, I guess you would have to be a Jew. Well, yes, it would have, yes, it would have to be a Jew. They had to be at least 13 years old. So they had to have at least their bar mitzvah. Uh, chances so they are. they had to be male. Uh, well, 
generally they would be because they would have to be able to read. So they would read from the scroll and, and they would have to, um, they're interpreting the scroll. So it's well, well, women did go to to the first level of rabbinical school, so they they may have had yeah. some reading skills. So they would have had to memorize Torah, right? Um, so I, I don't, I haven't come across too much information about women leading uh, in a synagogue service, but I wouldn't necessarily say they never did because it might explain some of the Pauline passages about women. Mm-hmm. That's why I'm, so, I'm proting it a little bit. Yeah. So, <laughs> so some of those passages in Paul seem to imply that women at least held some sort of uh, status teaching position mm-hmm. where, where they're mm-hmm. teaching something. Mm-hmm. Uh, whether or not he agreed with what they were teaching is a different story, but it, it, it wasn't impossible for them right. Right. To, to be one of the readers. Um, so yeah, so they would offer this sermon. And by the way, the sermon is not like what we're thinking today. Like today sermon is like 30 minutes, 40 minutes, maybe even an hour. Um, these were normally pretty short. I mean, they could be just, you know, five minutes, maybe 10 minutes. Like these weren't very long sermons. It was somebody who would read from the Torah and then they would, you know, comment, reflect on it. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, generally, there was a schedule of what is being read. So it's not like the reader is picking what they want to have read. So there was a kind of a liturgy, you know, where right. it was already predetermined what was going to be read on any given Sabbath. And then, of course, uh, the, after the, the sermon, the service would end uh, with a benediction if a priest was present to offer it, because the Aaronic blessing uh, that we find in the Old Testament could only be given by a priest. Oh. So if a priest was around, then they would end they would end with with a benediction where the priest would would bless the people with the Aaronic blessing. And for our listeners, the Aaronic blessing is May the Lord bless you and keep you, may he shine his face count, upon you right. and give you peace. Right. And ironic, just again, for listeners, means blessing given by a descendant of Aaron. Correct. Right. Just got always breaking it down because our listeners are of all different levels of biblical understanding. And, and we want people to understand, right? Get mm-hmm. a, a good idea, a good picture of, of what's taking place here. Right. And it's really good information to know that only a priest was allowed to give that particular blessing so it could happen or could not happen correct yes so it either it only happened if there was a priest around the whole town has 400 people what are the chances you're going to have a priest in town yeah exactly which brings us to the point that we wanted to get into today about that particular sermon that jesus himself preached in his home synagogue in nazareth there was definitely no priestly ending to that sermon or blessing to that sermon. It ended pretty rough and abruptly. Remember that sermon, John? Um, In Luke chapter four, we have a description of Jesus in Nazareth. By the way, this is right at the beginning of his ministry. He has been baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. He, He spent some time in the wilderness and now he's back at his hometown. He's back in Nazareth. Luke tells us that that Jesus went to the synagogue because it was his custom. 
system. And, and that's pretty important information because number one, it tells us that Jesus was a devout practicing Jew. All right. This Jesus wasn't some, uh, you know, person who dropped out of church. You know, he wasn't somebody who didn't care about religious things. Jesus was a devout practicing Jew. Right. And so he went to the synagogue because it was his custom. So it's not unusual to see Jesus going to the synagogue. But it also shows us that when Jesus was asked to read at the synagogue, he wasn't randomly selected for mm. this job, mm-hmm. right? Jesus had a history there. The people knew him in Nazareth. So he goes to synagogue every week. He knows the other people that go to synagogue. He wasn't just randomly selected. Like, oh, we have this random person who just showed up. Let's have him read. No, Jesus had had a history there. And so he was asked to read probably because he was asked to read many times before. Right. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Jesus has a history there and he's invited to read uh, from the synagogue. And of course, as a reader, he was also given the opportunity to reflect on what he read to preach his quote unquote sermon or homily. And the question is, how did the people take it? Right? How did the people take his teaching? Now, when you read the NIV, it seems as though the people were like really happy with what Jesus was saying. Uh, Luke chapter four, verse 22, it says, all spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son, they asked. Like it almost, it almost makes it seem like they're proud of what Jesus is doing here, right? You know, right. it's like they're 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 hitting each other. Uh, you know, they're rubbing. You know, they're elbowing each other, saying, "You know, isn't this Joseph's son? Like, look at this." You know, it paints this wonderful picture of, of what Jesus is saying. They're, they're proud of the homeboy. They're proud yeah. of the homeboy who's 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 hitting the sermon out of the park. Like, this is his home church. This is home synagogue, you know, like we taught him with felts in the cradle roll and now he's grown up and he's reading the scroll and, and wow, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. And so it just seems like they're amazed, but that doesn't really make sense because if you know the end of the story, they're really mad at him, like to the point that they want to kill him. So it doesn't make sense for us to read this verse like oh they're so amazed and and you know they're kind of like we're really proud of what jesus has accomplished here um so what's going on here like why what is what is the situation here and i think the situation here is just translation um if you look up this verse in multiple translations Mm-hmm. One thing you'll notice is that none of them really translate it the same way. Like there's disagreement mm. in how this is translated. And so I, I dusted off my um, Greek New Testament. Oh boy. Get ready, folks. We're getting into <laughs> some some Greek translation here. Yes. So I dusted off my Greek New Testament. And, and this is how I translated this verse. Okay. And it's kind of weird because the grammar is just really interesting. So a literal translation would be, and all 
bore witness about him and marveled at the words of grace that flowed out of his mouth. Again, when you read that, yes, you can interpret that as a positive thing, but you can also interpret that as being not so positive. And I think that the best way uh, to paraphrase what this is actually trying to say is a combination between two of the translations that I looked at. So there's the contemporary English version, and I think they got the first part of it right. And then there's the American Standard Version, and they got the second part of it right. So when you put it together, I think this is what, how the verse is supposed to sound like, right? It's supposed to say, all the people started talking about Jesus and wondered at the words of grace which proceeded out of his mouth. Hmm. Hmm. So when you translate it this way, it's less about them being like, astounded, amazed, and proud about what Jesus is saying and more contemplative. They're listening to what he's saying and and they're not sure about it. So He has their attention. He has their attention. He's drawing them in, but he's saying something that makes them feel maybe a little uncomfortable or awkward. Right. Yes. They're they're not 100% comfortable with what Jesus is saying. And so uh, in reality, the people were not just graciously accepting what Jesus is is giving to them, right? They were contemplating the grace-filled message that Jesus was presenting. And that grace, the words of grace that comes out of his mouth, that's important. Because when we begin to unpack what Jesus actually did, we're going to come back to this idea of grace. It's astounding to me because the thing that the people got hung up on was grace. Hmm. Hmm. That's well, what the people got hung up on. I know some, some, some congregations that would do well in Nazareth. <laughs> yeah. Yes, I think we, we could all relate to those people that just hate grace. You know, I, I remember... When I was pastoring, I, I preached a sermon and it was like a hundred percent grace, you know, um, and how, you know, we're not saved by works. And it was just 100% grace. And then at the door, somebody comes up to me, they shake my hand and they said, you know, I really wish you would have brought in, you know, some texts about the law yep. and how grace without works is dead. And I said, I would have. If that was in the text, <laughs> you know, um, and so, he, so, you know, uh, I don't think he liked that answer, but, but the reality is that the reason people got hung up on what Jesus was saying in Nazareth was because he emphasized grace and he mm. emphasized grace to many of the people in Nazareth would have thought was an extreme. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I always say there are two sides in every sermon. Those who are the amen choir when you mention the word grace. <laughs> and those who are the amen choir when you mention the side of law or standards. And whatever side is giving you the amen, the other side is giving you the evil eye. <laughs> Yeah, that tension's hard for people. Right. Yeah. But it seems, uh, at least the way Luke paints it in his narrative, it just, it seems as though everybody is like, we don't know about this. This is, 
this is too much grace even for us. Mm, mm. <laughs> so Nazareth were not a fan of the grace of Jesus. They weren't. And there's two reasons for it. Two reasons why they weren't a fan of Jesus's grace. The first reason is that Jesus left out the most anticipated part of the Isaiah prophecy. If you go back in Luke 4, Jesus is actually reading uh, from the prophet Isaiah. Right. And this is what he reads, right? He says, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to right. proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Right. And then he ends it there. That's it. Now, most of the people in the synagogue would have at least made it to uh, bait uh, safer. Mm -hmm. And they would have at some point memorized this passage. Right. And for Jesus to end it at to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor was a terrible place to end it. Because the sentence continues with these words, and the day of vengeance of our God. Ah. And Jesus didn't read that part. He left that part out. He just ends it with the year of the Lord's favor, which, by the way, is a reference to the year of Jubilee. Mm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So the year of Jubilee was something that took place every 50 years. Way It was established way back in the Torah, mm -hmm. uh, in, in the first five books of Moses. Right. And, and basically, when Israel was given the land, they divided up that land, and everybody was given a portion of that land. Every family, every tribe was given a portion of that land. And uh, over time, over a period of 50 years, right, if somebody got, you know, needed some extra cash they might have sold a, a portion of their field mm -hmm. um or if they were really really strapped for cash they might have sold the whole thing right um and over time as usually happens in a free market society uh a, there's people who amassed a whole lot of land and then there's people who have absolutely no land Right? right. And so then there's this inequity and the year of Jubilee was designed specifically to reset it. Right. And so every it 50 bad. years, all the land went back to the original owners right. and everybody was equal, which is grace, right? It's, it's grace in a free market society. So where does this idea of vengeance come from? All right. So the idea of vengeance was related to the judgment of God upon Israel's enemies, destroying Israel's political oppressors. So, so the text is basically saying there's a time of jubilee, there's a time of forgiveness, there's a time of restoration of Israel getting their land back, and that's they're looking prophetically at it as also being the time that God punishes the oppressors who are on their land. Exactly. And Jesus leaves the punishing of the oppressors who are occupying their land out 
it just emphasizes the jubilee. Exactly. Exactly. So when Jesus said today, now this is going into Jesus's sermon, mm-hmm. right? So he finishes reading. He leaves the part of the vengeance of God out. And then Jesus begins his sermon and he says, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So what he is saying is he was talking about good news. He was talking about freedom. He was talking about healing. And all of that is being fulfilled today. In their hearing, this is what's happening. But the part that the people were most looking forward to And during the time of Jesus, that meant the destruction of of the Roman authority, right? The part that people were most looking forward to, Jesus just completely ignores. He makes it seem as though that's not happening, at least not today. Mm. And so if Jesus was the spirit-filled subject of the Isaiah prophecy, and Jesus strongly implies that he is the spirit-filled subject of Isaiah's prophecy that's going to cause all this to come about, if Jesus was the Messiah, why is he ignoring vengeance? Right, because it's not enough that we get a Messiah and we get a season of grace, we get a season of jubilee. You know, we want the bad guys to suffer. (laughs) Exactly, right? And, And if you have this high view of the Messiah coming in and destroying all of Israel's political enemies, giving them sovereignty as a nation to live their life the way God promised them to that they would live it in peace and prosperity, right? There has to be vengeance. You can't leave the vengeance out of it. Right, right, right. And, and, and again, going back to previous episodes of the podcast in season two, differentiating classical Judaism to Second Temple Judaism, you know, before in classical Judaism, you just have this idea of Messiah and ruling king. But at Second Temple, you have this sort of ecclesiastical, eschatological version of the Messiah that, you know, the Essenes are influencing, the Zealots are influencing, this idea of a radical Messiah that is also a military force Mm -hmm. that's just not going to be Jubilee. Like, David could be Jubilee. David could be a ruling Messiah who who makes Israel a happy land. Mm -hmm. But, But Second Temple Judaism is ready for a bloodthirsty Messiah who is going to slaughter those pagans and Gentiles off of our land, right? Yes, that's exactly it. That's exactly it. And so when Jesus stopped reading the prophecy in Isaiah where Mm. he stopped, Jesus is totally downplaying that whole aspect. He's totally downplaying this idea of this military Messiah coming in and liberating them from all of their political oppressors. So it's like they were watching this great action movie where, where, where all the pieces of the plot were fitting together and the story is advancing and now they're just waiting for the crisis point of the plot, the hero to come in and slay the enemy. But he's just like, Meh, I'm done. I'm it's not like, going to no, end the movie. Year of Jubilee. <laughs> yeah, you're hey, We're good. <laughs> year of Jubilee. We don't need to get rid of the enemy. Every Everybody gets their equal share. Right. Even 
wasn't the dirty rotten oppressing Romans that made me pay all those taxes? Well, and that's the second reason why people really didn't like what Jesus had to say. Because Jesus seemed to imply with the rest of his sermon, if we continue reading, he seems to imply that the favor of God that is described in the Isaiah passage about the blind seeing and the poor being oppressed, he seems to imply that God's favor extends to the Gentiles as well. And so people started questioning him. So this turned from a sermon to being more like a hostile Sabbath school. And... <laughs> And so <laughs> question and answer. Let's get let's get the pastor. And so people just couldn't stay silent anymore. And so I've now seen that happen in a church. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Something controversial is preached, and 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 like people just stand up in the pew. Like, what do you mean by that? Yeah, and and, and that's what we're seeing happening, right? So the people started talking to each other about what's happening. And they're just like wondering about this grace filled message that includes the Gentiles. Right. And so they, they question Jesus about it. And this is what Jesus says. Uh, verses 20, 25 through 27 there in, in Luke chapter four, he says, I assure you that there were many widows in Israel in Elijah's time when the sky was shut for three and a half years. And there was a severe famine throughout the land. Yet, Elijah was not sent to any of them. Who? The widows in Israel. But to a widow in Zarephath in the region of Sidon. And then he says, And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet. Yet not one of them was clean. Who, not, who was cleaned? The Israelite lepers. They weren't cleansed only Naaman, the Syrian. And so Jesus is saying, right? Yeah, yeah. Jesus is saying that God's favor, God's grace is not just for Israel. Now those are fighting words. It includes all Gentiles as well. And this is like the message, John, that that Israel keeps missing. Like Again, we talked about geography on purpose. God put Israel in the middle of the known ancient world so that people would have to find out about his love and his grace from all corners, right? Like this morning I'm, I'm reading... I'm reading about the change of Abram to Abraham, where God changes his name from the father of many to the father of many nations right mm -hmm. and and sarai goes from my princess to the princess and i'm trying to explain to the people in my my small group that this is an indication that god is like it's not all about isaac it, it's it's not all about you know the messiah you know it is all about the messiah coming out of isaac but that Messiah is only coming out of Isaac to also save Ishmael and all the nations that Abraham's the father of and all the nations that Shem and Noah are the father of. And this is why he's the father of many nations and not just the father of many, right? Like yeah. the Jews just never can accept that. Like they just never can. And church members still struggle with it. What? What? No, the gospel's just for us and just our little sliver of people. And no, it's like for everyone, right? That's the point. Yeah. Yeah. And so 
the idea that there is room for Gentiles mm. in God's kingdom was highly offensive mm. to the Jews in Nazareth. So much so that they wanted to kill Jesus then and there. Like, <laughs> like that is wow. how offended wow. they were at Jesus's implication that God's grace extends beyond Israel. That's intense. So in that synagogue would be like the auntie and uncles, quote unquote, that would have grown up around that that Jesus would have grown up around. There would be, you know, the little children he went to Shabbat school with, right? They, that that you know he he learned his his memory verses with. There would have been, you know, maybe even his school, his grade school teacher there. Yeah, and you're saying like. It's only a village of about 400 people. I mean, you know, you never get 100% attendance at church, right? Of your whole village. <laughs> and we don't even know that they're all Jews. Like, so, you know, this could be like a group of like under 100, under 30, some of his most intimate associates, That's right. friends, family. Yeah. And they're so offended by Jesus's implication here that they're all ready to throw him off a cliff. And, like they and literally chase him out of the synagogue to a cliff. Is that what you're saying? Yes. You, this is not hyperbole. This is not <laughs> an expression you're using. Like literally that's the story that Luke is telling. They chase him out of the synagogue to a cliff. That's right. Luke chapter four, they chase him out. They they literally chase him out of the synagogue and they're ready to throw him off a cliff. Now, what's really interesting is verse 30. It says that he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. Now, that's, that's always been a fascinating description to me, right? And no commentator really knows what this means. I've researched it. Nobody has any idea, right? Like, how do you just walk through a crowd that wants to kill you? Like, like, like when I read that, I'm like, this doesn't make any sense. <laughs> like, like, these people are wanting to literally kill Jesus, throw him off a cliff, and he just walks right through them? Well, he is God. I mean, like, <laughs> well, and I think that's the I think that's the case here, right? Some people try to explain it, you know, in um in a uh, naturalistic way, and they're just like, well, maybe Jesus was able to hide behind the chaos, right? There was so much chaos; everybody is mad. They're all just trying to get to Jesus, and Jesus took advantage of the chaos and he walked right through them and and and, and left. But I think that there's probably a supernatural explanation here, right? Could it be it's, angels parting the crowd? Angels <laughs> distracting the crowd? Right. Did he become Unseen invisible? Forces? Invisible? Well, we do know that in his resurrected form, he could change his appearance. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nobody really knows, right? But the idea that he just walks right through the crowd makes it seem like he was invisible. In some way, he was shielded from the people. He was untouchable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so He was a forerunner to MC Hammer. Yeah. <laughs> Can't touch this, right? <laughs> <laughs> so, so getting kicked out 
is actually of Nazareth is actually putting it lightly. Jesus can't go back to Nazareth unless he wants to die. Hmm. So he's kicked out. He's evicted. Can never show himself in his home synagogue or town. It's a small town. Right. So Jesus has no choice but to leave. Right. And again, for our listeners, Nazareth is not only Jesus' hometown where he grew up, but it's Mary's hometown mm-hmm. and Mary's birthplace. Yeah. Um, I was able to see the ruins of the place under the big church dedicated to Mary there in Nazareth, where archaeologists just even in the last couple of years are confirming that that was probably her childhood home. Wow. Uh, they're determining that I, I was very fortunate that we knew someone who let us in to see it even before, like it was in the mainstream news. They have been identifying it by the increase of Byzantine crosses uh, mm. underneath the, the chapel. Like, so again, another basement, uh, you know, where they've been excavating below a building. Um, and we were able to go in there. So they, they, they believe you can Google it you can start, maybe I'll put some pictures in the show notes. It's exactly what I took pictures of with my camera. It's, it's pretty cool. Um, what they believe was now Mary's home, the childhood home, not, not where Jesus grew up, but where Mary grew up. Um, what they believe, I mean, again, it's only as good as our archeologists decided it is right. Right. But, but my point in saying that is the significance of Jesus being kicked out. He's being kicked out of where he grew up, but where he has generational family roots. Yeah. Yeah. And so Jesus can't go back and visit his family in their house. Um, and it, it kind of gives new significance to when Jesus said, um, you know, foxes have holes you know, birds have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. Like he was literally kicked out of his hometown. So they can't want go back. Him, right. So they want a Messiah. They're willing to even accept Jesus as Messiah. They want Jubilee, but they want their red meat with it. Yes. And Jesus is not as interested in the red meat as he is the Jubilee. They want grace, but they don't want their enemies to have it. Hmm. They want favor, but they don't want to extend it to anyone else. Right. It's like, it's like Jonah. It's like Mm. echoing Jonah. God tells Jonah to go to Nineveh and give them an opportunity for grace to repent. And Jonah's like, no way. He would rather get thrown out off a boat and swallowed by a fish than to extend grace to these Gentiles. So what does a Messiah do when he gets kicked out of the house? The Messiah has to find somewhere else to go. And so the Bible tells us that he went down to Capernaum, which is another town in Galilee. It's a larger town. It's a more significant town. It's a larger town. It's closer to the water. It's right on the water. Yep. 
And um, it's interesting. It says he went down to Capernaum when Nazareth is south of Capernaum. So how would he go down to Capernaum? Could it well, be like towards the water, like, yes. like going away from a mountain, uh, a higher elevation to a lower elevation? Exactly. Nazareth was at a higher elevation than Capernaum. So going down to Capernaum is not a problem, right? He's right. just going down the mountain to a lower elevation city. Um, and so he goes down to, Cap- to he goes down to Capernaum. And then the Bible says on the Sabbath, he taught the people. Now it doesn't say that he went to a synagogue again. I mean, maybe he has a little bit of PTSD from what happened in Nazareth. I don't know. doesn't say that he goes to synagogue again. Um, But on the Sabbath, he begins to teach the people. He's probably on the road or he's somewhere outside, you know, and, and people start gathering. And the Bible says that they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. And so he finds acceptance in Capernaum. Right, right, right. He eventually does teach in that synagogue in Capernaum. There's some pretty famous stories about that, that yeah. that preaching, uh, his preaching ministry, his pulpit ministry in Capernaum. It's an interesting situation where he couldn't be accepted in Nazareth, his hometown, his ancestral hometown, mm-hmm. but Capernaum takes him in. And, you know, we've talked about this before off air, that Capernaum to this day likes to brag about that. And and literally when you as a tourist, when you drive into Capernaum, there's this big sign over the archaeological section of the city that is the old Capernaum where all the excavations have happened. You can go see the old synagogue and see Peter's family home and in and all those sort of things. There's a big sign over that that says the adopted home of Jesus. <laughs> it's almost like they're sliding Nazareth, right? Right, yeah, exactly. Nazareth didn't want him, but we took him in. <laughs> Happy to have Nazareth leftovers. <laughs> yes. The reality is, though, Vinny, is again, we look back on these stories and we're just like, shame on Nazareth. How could it be, you know, possible? But these stories speak to us today. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. If if Jesus were to ask us to lay aside some of our long-held beliefs, mm. how would we react? Right, or something sometimes people really struggle with is forgiving people who hurt them. Mm. And that's really why Nazareth wants vengeance, right? Right. They want to hurt, they want God to hurt the people who hurt them. Mm. And I still find that a big, a big stumbling block for people. You know, and I'm just always like, either the cross is big enough for your enemy. If uh, this is what I say to people, I say, if the cross is not big enough for whoever hurt you, it's not big enough for you. Mm. Right? They, in essence, this is, you know, not to jump sermons, but this is what Jesus is saying in the Sermon on the Mount, right? 
when 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 Jesus says in order to be forgiven you must forgive Hmm. right he's either saying either the grace of God has room for any penitent person of any spectrum and again I'm not saying that you know active predators and villains enter in I'm saying the cross is big enough the grace of God is big enough the love of God is big enough for any penitent sinner or for no one it's one of the two wow right does Jesus pay the sin for everyone or just me seems to be what Nazareth is suffering with right for sure and yet there are other warnings in the story that's important you know like Capernaum isn't perfect Capernaum's got their own demon possession going on right Mm -hmm. Capernaum's got their own issues and Jesus has some harder things to say about Capernaum later in his ministry too and I think there's a lesson here we started today talking about how much more time Jesus spent in Galilee in all these cities in Galilee than he did in Judea than he did in Jerusalem than he does you know in any place in the the Israel region and because they saw more miracles because they saw more acts of compassion because they saw Jesus display his love more clearly, more frequently, because most of his time was there, then they hold more responsibility. So I don't know. I'm just thinking here, John, the responsibility of people in the church versus people in the world. Hmm. Right? If you've been with Jesus, if you've been walking with Jesus, if you've been living a life for Jesus, if you've been following Jesus, if you've been baptized in the name of Jesus and you want grace and love of Jesus, but you're not willing to extend that to sinners, to people you disagree with, hmm. the people you think are wrong, the people even you know are wrong. I mean, let's face it. The Gentiles weren't presumed wrong. They were wrong. <laughs> right. But, yeah. Right? They, they were oppressors and they worship, you know, idols. But Jesus is like, I want to bring them under the umbrella of grace. Hmm. I wonder who it is that we would exclude from the umbrella of grace that Jesus is trying to bring under, you know? Like, like yeah. what would offend my church? Like, I'm not going to say it because some of my church members listen to this podcast. <laughs> but if I could say out loud, what? Who could I say I want to extend grace to and bring into right relationship with God that would offend my church members? Mm. Yeah. Would it be a different political party? Would it would it would it would it be someone well, with I'm a different even, lifestyle? <laughs> different lifestyle? Would it be you, you, you know, would it be um people even different theological convictions if if I said the grace of God is fully upon these people Mm. and he wants to bring them in I mean I do say that I did I did pray and preach just recently 
I have sheep of other fold and they know my voice and they will hear it and they will come. But when you start defining, <laughs> when you just start defining who those sheep of the other fold could be, then people start getting offended. Then people start crying out for blood. They want their vengeance. Those are the bad guys. Doesn't Jesus know who the bad guys are? And isn't the point of the cross that if you're human, you're the villain? Hmm. I mean, it's that simple, isn't it? That's it. That's exactly it, Vinny. Because I may think that those people aren't worthy of God's grace and forgiveness, but it's like as the saying goes, for every one finger that I point at somebody else, there's three pointing right back at me. Exactly. They may not sin the same way I do, hmm. but we are all sinners. In need of grace. Right, and when we have grace, grace transforms. Grace changes. Grace equalizes everyone. And so, maybe we just need to give more grace. John, we are on a trek through Galilee, and we are looking at your favorite region, and this is why people should come back for the next two episodes, because we're going to be Focusing on Galilee, Grace, Jesus, Jesus' core ministry. So join us back here next week so that we can look at more lessons from the man from Galilee and the good news of the gospel of the man from Galilee. But I know, John, you got more great stories for us from Galilee. See you at the next podcast. You have been listening to a podcast produced by simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff. But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head, Jesus is still the logo. The reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.